Welcome back, guys, to another interview on the Learn, Grow, Earn podcast. This is episode 64. And for this week's interview, I'm linking up with a good friend of mine. We have some pretty awesome history, some things that I don't think that I've actually, I think I have shared this before on the podcast, but the first business that I ever started was a duct tape wallet business. And my buddy Greg and I linked up on this so that we could scale this back in middle school. Um, he also ended up getting me my first job working in retail in, I think it was eighth grade. So a lot of awesome history between the two of us. So I was super, super excited uh, about this interview. Greg has created so many cool um, opportunities in his life that I'm sure he'll dive into. But with that said, Greg, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much, Mike. It's great to be here. And I'll I'll tell you, I have not thought about says wallets in a very long time. So that that was a very cool business that we had going in middle school. Dude, I know that was so much fun. I think that randomly came up in one of the early interviews of this podcast, which is why I kind of re- recollected that as I was saying it. But those are some good times, man. Absolutely. So for people that might not know you and your story, why don't you just take a couple minutes, give them a kind of a spark notes run through so that they have some context as we dive into this chat. Yeah, I'd love to. And it's funny because I usually give my background starting with, uh, you know, when I started my, what I call my first real company at age 14. But really, if we're going to count the duct tape wallets, we got to go back to middle school. That was like 12. Um, (laughs) I, I think I'm going to still start at age 14, um, but I, I've always been super passionate about entrepreneurship and startups and, and technology. Um, and so a, a few years after our, our crazy wallet adventure, I, um, you know, freshman in high school, um, I started a, a computer repair and web design company. Um, you know, it, it started out as a hobby and um, it's probably the, the first time that I really discovered that my true passion was starting and building businesses. I don't think at the time I knew what the word entrepreneurship even meant, um, but I knew I liked fixing computers. I knew I liked getting customers. I knew I liked working with other people. Um, so it was, a, it was a really good start and ended up running that all, all through high school and into college. And as I grew up a little bit after college, I ended up starting a software company uh, called Attend.com. Um, it was software for event planners. Um, it, it was born out of a, a total accident, actually. I built myself a little a little prototype to help um, track attendance at the entrepreneurship club events that I used to run in college. And I needed a good way of tracking attendance effectively. And I built this little piece of software so I wouldn't have to check off people's names on paper. And it turned out that lots of other people that, that ran events had the same problems I did. So we ended up turning that little accidental uh, you know, side, side project software into a company. Um, and this is now I'm um, 21 years old at this point. I uh, just uh, graduated, just graduated school. We ended up raising a couple million dollars in VC funding for it, um, which is pretty wild. My bank account was at zero, and suddenly I refreshed it, and it had a million bucks in it. It's a, a pretty, pretty cool experience for a little 21 year old. And uh, anyway, uh, ended up building up that company, hired about 30 people, got lots of customers, and ultimately fell flat on our faces. It it uh, it did not turn into the the billion dollar success we hoped for. So anyway, moved on, moved out to San Francisco to try again, and then spent about three years running uh, sales and marketing for a little bit of a bigger uh, software startup uh, called NetPulse um, that makes mobile apps for for gyms. And that was a ton of fun. 
And now um, I actually recently left that company and um, I've been eager to get back to being a founder and I'm, I'm working on some new projects. So lots of, lots of crazy entrepreneurial up and downs since the very beginning at Says Wallets uh, in middle school. That's, that's for sure. I love it. I love it. So <clears throat> what about, um, you mentioned the entrepreneurship club in college. Talk to me about the role that traditional education played in this journey of yours. Yeah, you know, I think that being in school was definitely a formative time. I can't say that I walked away with tons of specific tactical skills. I mean, I got a degree in business. I think it was a good overview. It, it boggles my mind that there's no sales course included in a business degree these days. Um, that's kind of nuts. So that was a lot of self-teaching. And, you know, my experience in technology was was all self-taught too. So learning how to code, learning how to work with computers, all, all self-taught. I would say the biggest role that the formal education played was it it gave me a platform to to meet people and practice practice leadership. You know, the the running the entrepreneurs club, we had a team of twenty five kids that worked on it. We had a, a twenty five thousand dollar budget. Um, we all, which as a as a college kid, that's that's pretty cool. And it was probably some of my first experiences in building out a team and organizing and event planning and hiring people. And it was all in a very safe environment where if you screw up, there's no customers that's going to be too mad at you. I look at my the, the time in school as a just like a, a, a good period to practice. It was definitely more the opportunities that I made from it, like running the Entrepreneurs Club, uh, rather than the classes as the, the most valuable piece. I like, I like how you called it a good place to practice, right? Because we always try and, and maybe you've had a similar experience, but I've always heard, you know, you want to try and control your failures or fail in a controlled environment, whether it's um, through dark launches in the tech space or like A-B testing or whatever it is. And it sound like co- sounds like college and this entrepreneurship club was like a cool little way for you to quote unquote fail in a controlled environment. Would you say so? Yes, I would. I would definitely say so. In fact, I often will tell you know college students that are thinking about starting a company that when you're in college is the best time to be doing it because you, you don't really have anything to lose. You know, worst case scenario, you just keep going to class. Um, I will say, I think I've had more uh, of my extraordinary failures after school, though, <laughs> which is when the, when practice time is over, which which makes them all the more intense. Um, but, uh, I, I do totally agree that college is a great time to get some failures in if you can. So on the topic of practice and, and failure, how do you think that you learn most efficiently? By getting my butt kicked, um, a hundred percent. I, I have learned the most when I get thrown into the fire and have to figure it out. So as a good example, so my, actually my first job right after school, before I started the, uh, the, uh, com, the event planning software company. I actually spent uh, one year as the COO of a startup marketing agency. This was, I mean, we had probably 50K of cash in the company bank account at any given time, which is very, very low. Uh, This is a very small bootstrap company. Um, But I must have made every ridiculous mistake in the book at that company. Um, I had set up payroll for the first time, and I did it wrong. And I, you know, went to a, run a sales pitch for the first time and I did it wrong. I, I have to fire an employee for the first time and I did it very wrong. So, you know, it was a, it was, it was one of those post-graduation experiences that was such a, uh, another probably, I would almost c- consider it like an extended practice where it was, it was a real business, but it was still so small and bootstrapped where things counted a little more, but it was still a great time to practice and fail, which, which I most certainly did. Dude, I I completely agree. I mean, I feel like nothing, 
I don't know, I've talked about this in a lot of other episodes, but almost like that fear of, I guess it's kind of fear of failing in the public eye for me, but like really publicizing deadlines. And that's my way of kind of kicking my ass into gear and really, you know, lighting a fire under everything that I'm doing. Cause I feel like I learn best and I figure out how to implement best in those kind of situations. Yep. Yep. Definitely be being held accountable for sure. I think that's why the the experience right after school of being in that startup marketing agency, you were a little more accountable. We actually had customers. We had employees on payroll. They weren't making very much, but there was a payroll. So if I screwed up, somebody's not going to be able to pay their rent that month. And that definitely ups the ante a little bit and, and, and applies a little bit more pressure. But it doesn't mean you're not going to fail, but at least it, it makes sure that you're, you're taking it pretty seriously and you, you you learn a ton because you you end when you fail you get to reflect and you get to just go and try again, um, and that's kind of what I did all through college and and afterwards and in that experience in the next one I just kind of kept kept trying at it. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to your uh, your first business in high school okay. because I I remember this and I remember as you kind of transitioned away from uh, from our our first jobs in retail into devoting more time to that business. Talk to me about the courage that it took to figure out how to start that business because in that space you were getting certifications, you even got office space. You know, a lot of that is it's tough to realize that everything is figure outable. That's right. I, I I love that phrase. Someone told me that. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's impressive that you did it at such a young age. So talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean I'll share a, a secret with you and, and everybody listening. It is not as hard as it looks. Um, it takes some determination. Um, it takes some grit, but it's doable. I mean, when when I started that first company again, I was 14 years old, and I had I'd been working with you. We were working retail um, at the ski and bike shop. I ended up taking a second job doing computer repair, kind of being as as an assistant for this other computer technician in town. I did that uh, with another guy in school for for about six months, and then the technician decided to move away um, out of state. And so we thought to ourselves, well, you know, we've learned all this stuff about fixing computers. The customers who need their computers fixed are still right here in our town. Why don't we just keep doing the exact same things we've been doing while working for this other computer technician, but keep all the money for ourselves? <laughs> um, it, 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 as we thought, that was probably the first aha moment of what entrepreneurship was, um, was when we went through that that thought process. Oh, we could do this same task that we've always been doing that we really like doing, but we could be the owners and just keep everything for ourselves. <laughs> not, um, not, not bad at all. We started slowly, but we, I remember we, we printed out flyers and hung them around town. We made up business cards. We made a website. Um, but most importantly, we just called up the, the customers we already had and said, Hey, just so you know, um, we're, we're available whenever you need us. And we started to get calls and we started to get referrals and we were, we were able to build it up to a, to a pretty successful business for, for a bunch of teenagers. I think the seed that got us started, was coming to this realization of, we have this passion, we have this talent, we could use it to, to, to run a business. It's something we already know how to do. The, the running the business part is this extra icing on the cake. And yeah, we have to do some of the, the marketing and getting the customers ourselves, but the the core service we're delivering is something we already know how to do. So why not just do it for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you were just really good opportunists and you just figured it out on the way. <laughs> I I absolutely think that's true. I mean, as and as a case in point, 
when we started, we were just building, uh, you know, we were fixing computers. And one of our customers, uh, we fixed their computer, uh, she was starting a, a, small, a small business. And she asked us if we can make her a website. Because she just assumed any nerdy kid that can fix a computer can probably also make a website. <laughs> and of course, uh, while we were very nerdy, we had no idea how to make a website. But she offered us $1,000, which for like a 14-year-old, four digits, that might as well have been a million dollars. Like we were blown. Yeah. We, we couldn't believe it. Like, are you crazy? Um, we, we, like, we had to do the math. Wow, we'd have to fix a whole bunch of computers to make that much. And we could sit on our butts in front of like at home and make it. So we immediately just said to, yes. Sorry to cut you off real quick, <laughs> yeah. but just to give people some context, like at that point, minimum wage in New York State, I think was like six twenty-five an hour. That is exactly what I was making. What we were making at the uh, in, at the retail shop, six twenty-five yeah, so an hour. I want to just paint that picture for people. So imagine how many hours you would have to work to make a thousand dollars after taxes. That's so, the exact calculation I made. So we immediately, of course, we were opportunists. We said, hell yes, we're going to do this. Uh, we then immediately ran home and Googled how to make a website. Um, and, you know, we ended up pulling quite a few all-nighters. Um, but sure enough, we made this ridiculous-looking pink website because that was the colors <laughs> of the branding. And I, I really wish I had a screenshot of it. It was so bad. She, they loved it, but it was absolutely hideous. And that was part of our fault and part the fact that her, her branding was all pink and shiny. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we were absolutely opportunists. And I think if you want to be in the, the, the startup entrepreneurial world, if that's what, what you're into, you really have to have a, a level of opportunist um, about you because um, part of it is just being at the right place at the right time and being ready to go. Um, you never know uh, what opportunities might might come your way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that I've been, a quote that I was really brought aware of, that was really poor English, but I think you guys know what That's I mean. That's all right. I got it. Is, you know, we always feel like life happens to us rather than for us. Those opportunities are a prime example of it. You can look at it one of two ways. One, either like, damn, I wish I knew how to make a website because I could have made so much money or like, wow. I'm about to make so much money. Now I just have to figure out how to make a website. And it's really cool to me that you guys had the the courage and the audacity to think that you could at 14 years old. And then you did it. You know, like that that's that's impressive. Yeah, we definitely we we were definitely a little ballsy to think that we could actually do it. Um but yeah, sure enough we pulled, we pulled it off. Yeah, dude, I mean that's what it takes. <laughs> that's awesome. So that was high school gig. I assume that that stopped as you moved to college. Uh, you know, I did it I ended up doing it for a few years into college too. Um really? because I could I could do it remotely. Yeah, I started getting customers in Boston and I had customers in New York. It's one of the beauties of some of these new businesses that you can run. Like anything with technology, mm. you could be anywhere in the world. Um, and I was able to run that from my college dorm room. And that was the the web design aspect of it exactly. rather than the computer repair. Right, correct? right, right. For got the it, design. got it. Yeah. Okay, very cool, very cool. And then after college, you said you did the COO gig for a little bit, got some more experience, which I love because I'm really passionate about failure. And I, I think that it plays such an awesome role in our journey and it's not glamorized enough. So I love that you kind of touched upon a lot of those things because they're kind of facts of life of the journey, especially if you want to be part of this little journey called entrepreneurship. 
I love that you you talked about some of the failures that you kind of endured at the COO position with the marketing agency. I'm really curious about, and we've talked about some of this in the past, but I think that there's so much value in some of your experience in attend.com. So I'd love to dive into that piece of your journey for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where, where do you want me to start? So you mentioned that, well, actually, first of all, let's start at the funding part. Because this was, you were how old when you started this company? 23, was it you said? No, we were, I don't know, I think I was 21. Wow, okay, even better. Yeah. So I remember you said your bank account was at zero, and then all of a sudden it had seven figures because you land in this big round, big round of funding, which I remember seeing that and I'm like, wow, Greg made it. Like, this is so cool. I'm super proud of what this dude has created. Like, this is the start of an incredible, that part was true. It was the start of an incredible journey. But I was like, damn, like this company is like the big thing. Talk to me about the biggest lesson that you learned after going from having no money to having a million dollars in funding and having to figure out what the heck to do with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there are so many. At, At that stage, probably the biggest lesson learned was how clueless we were. Um, and I don't think I, I had that consciousness at the time. I didn't realize how little we understood of what was going on. Um, we, we, when, when you start out that way, there's, there's no roadmap, you know, there's no manual, there's no playbook. Um, you don't, you know, you don't have a boss that suddenly tells you do this and it's due Friday. Um, you are, you suddenly have to figure it all out for yourself. And, and now, once you have the funding in, you're figuring it all out while spending somebody else's money, which, which again, which, which when we talk about being in practice mode, um, you know, back to that point, that was definitely the turning point where practice mode was over. Practice mode got turned off. Um, we, we were definitely in the real world. So yeah, I think hands down at that stage, biggest lesson was uh, we have no idea what we were doing. And that, of course, turned into lots of mini lessons like, uh, how do you how do you really do sales? Who are you supposed to hire? In what order are you supposed to hire them? How do you keep employees engaged? Um, how do you how do you manage your investors and make sure they are adding value in in a positive way? Um, and we got to kind of learn all those tactical lessons on the fly. Kind of probably back to your question earlier about how how I learned. Um, this was a, a prime example of getting thrown into the fire and having to just figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I like that lesson of the fact that you didn't know anything because so I've talked about this in the past. There are a number of lessons that I always find myself coming back to that guests on this podcast have shared with me. And one of them was a lesson of a good friend of mine, my buddy, Max Weber, he's been on the show twice, his business partner, Josh Lehew, I had also interviewed on the show. And Josh was telling me a story about when he had gone to a, a, se- a seminar or a conference at some point. And at one point, a guy turned to him and says, Josh, why do you think that you're different from anyone else? None of us know what we're doing. And these were some very, very successful people sharing that and because Josh had basically felt out of place. And he felt like he was asking, I guess, we always feel like we're asking stupid questions if we're around people that seemingly know what we're what we don't know and that was a really really powerful lesson that because i feel like we can overly dramatize 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 yeah, I don't know. yeah. yeah that will go with it. english isn't really working out yeah, for, I, today, but... for two on grammar today I know, man. It's, uh, I'm, I'm trying over here, guys. I'm trying. But, um, 
you know, we put it on a pedestal that we should have it all figured out. And it's just not the case. Like half of it is, you know, like you're talking about putting yourself in a situation where, you know, your back's against the wall and you have to figure it out. So I love that lesson, dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it's so funny as you talk about you as, you know, my friend who was looking on LinkedIn and seeing what I was posting in your mind, it's like, Greg made it. Everything's awesome. This company is amazing. And in my mind, at the same time, probably at that very same moment, it's nothing's good enough. I'm doing this all wrong. Um, holy crap, I'm sitting here at 8 a.m. making cold calls um, to try to sell stuff um, and nobody's picking up. This is awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have always, it, 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 it's, it's actually one of the reasons I'll make a little confession here. I cannot watch the show Silicon Valley. Um, oh, on really? I love that show. I, a lot of people love it. I tried it. And it, it hit way too close to home. And I think what, <laughs> I what drove that. me nuts about it is it makes the entrepreneurial process look like this sexy, exciting thing. And there's no doubt there's lots of excitement. But at that time, the, the real view of entrepreneurship was a scared 21-year-old kid um, sitting in an empty student center at Northeastern, which of course I used even after I graduated, um, mm-hmm. making cold calls at 8 a.m. Um, and that yeah. was the actual reality. Um, but of course, nobody wants to put that on a show. Of course, not. and, and, and of course, you you gotta trudge through that to get to get to some of the really exciting stuff. And there was, I mean, getting that money wired, getting to hire employees, getting to you know pick and pick our office and make it the way we want, getting getting customers, watching them use the product successfully. I mean, that is that is a hell of a drug. But there is a lot of mountain to trudge up to get there. Oh, absolutely. See, I. I love that show because I, I see it from like the tech side. So obviously I'm, I'm an engineer full time. And what I loved about it is that a lot of the, like the nerdy jokes and a lot, even like down to what they're typing in the command line, it's like a lot of it's spot on. Like really? some of the, sh- the shell <laughs> scripting that they show in there, like the commands are real. And like, if you're really nerdy, like I am, you can follow that. And it's like, it's cool to see that inside of it. But I definitely see what you're talking about because, and that's actually something that I'm super passionate about this whole idea of glamorizing entrepreneurship. I specifically am passionate about not doing it via social media because you scroll through Instagram and it's all like, you know, stacks of cash and like nice cars and all this BS lifestyle that is not real that people are flaunting when in the grand scheme of things, like if they are building a business, they're in the background of this front, basically feeling exactly like you're describing. So I'm passionate against those unrealistic expectations that are set via social media. So I can relate to this sentiment. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I like that. So that was when you got the funding. You mentioned that it all came down in flames. So I don't know how much you want to share about this, but what was that kind of like, what, what happened with that, that falling out? Like what, what did you go through with that? What were some of the lessons you learned? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the sad reality is that the vast majority of startups fail. I mean, the, the vast, vast majority never make it to the funding stage and of the ones that get funding, um, the majority fail. So you are, you are playing an interesting game of statistics when you go down this path because the odds are absolutely stacked against you. Um, you know, in our case, we, we had a couple challenges. We were competing in a, a really busy market. We had some competitors that had a lot more money than we did that could start to, while, while we were kind of nipping at their heels and filling in some gaps where they were, uh, where they were missing, you know, they were far better resourced to, to catch up. You know, we were, we were working 
with, uh, you know, with, with a founding team that was learning as we go, um, which means that we would have to move slower. Um, we would sometimes make mistakes that somebody really good that knew what they were doing uh, maybe, maybe wouldn't have made. You know, we, we were battling that. You know, our, our probably number one mistake is that we we raised money really early. We raised venture capital money really early. You know, when when you do that, and coming back to the the point we made earlier, that is the flip of the switch out of practice mode, and rightfully so, right? Because you're now responsible for for somebody else's money. So, I think that our business wasn't quite ready to get out of practice mode, and we flipped that switch really early. And what that meant is we had to move really fast to sell stuff. Um, and as a result, we couldn't iterate on the product quite as quickly. Quickly, so we we struggled to get to the right product market fit because we suddenly and very early had this tremendous pressure from our investors, which overall made things really difficult. And and ultimately, that 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 pressure kind of ballooned in a, in a bunch of ways. And um, you know, we we ended up with some disagreements with our investors, and that kind of led to the what led to the downfall of the company. Certainly, at least from the from the founders' perspective. So it was a it was it was a pretty crazy experience. Um, definitely not at all what I anticipated when we first started it a, a couple of years earlier. But I, I think my mentors have generally joked that we earned our MBAs uh, during that period of turmoil at the end um, because we just got to see so much all before you know our like twenty third birthdays. Um, yeah. So it was a, it's a it was a pretty wild experience. I think it could make a very cool uh, HBO movie one day. Uh, to go right up there with Silicon Valley. Yeah, I remember chatting with you not too long after all that had happened. We hadn't connected in like, I don't know, maybe like a year and you were catching me up on everything. And I just remember saying like, yeah, well, that sucks. But like, at least it happened with a seven figure company instead of like a 10 figure company. <laughs> yes, um, so yes. They're that's always true. positives, right? That's right. I, I look forward to uh, to being in the position where I have a 10 figure company um, that could potentially implode. Um, <laughs> not the, not the worst problem to have. No, that's a, that's a good set of problems. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, overall, just an incredible learning experience. And, and I think as we tie some of this stuff together, you know, the, you can, you can learn in practice mode and it's a good start, but coming back to your earlier question of really, how do I learn? The, the only way you really internalize learning, at least for me, is when you're, out there in this like trial by fire situation. You know, it happened at the marketing agency, it happened with the funding of a 10.com and it, it sure as hell happened at, at the end. I mean, yeah, it was tough, it was emotionally traumatizing, but man, we learned so much in that small period um, about business and personalities and legal and all, all these types of things were just, it was like a crazy, summer semester course where they pack a whole semester into like four weeks. And I feel like that's, that's kind of what happened with us. So, you know, now that I'm quite a few years out, I can look back and think, you know, wow, I'm, I'm really actually pretty grateful for that experience. Though I certainly wouldn't have said that uh, a few years ago. Oh yeah. It's much harder when you're in it. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight's 2020 though, right? That's right. So after attend.com, you said you moved back into, I guess you could consider it like into the almost like the employee space you're helping building someone else's company but most recently you've left that company and you've moved back into the entrepreneurial space talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're doing now yeah it was you know it was a fun experience i after the craziness of attend.com not surprisingly i felt a little burned i was like you know maybe i take a break from this whole founder thing for a little while and so i joined somebody else's company also learned a ton had a blast over a few years but and I'm sure a lot of the people listening, if you're the entrepreneurial 
type and you're wired this way, unfortunately, there's no getting out of it. You will always end up back to uh, having what I call the founder bug, um, where you're just you're, you're itching to get back to, to running your own thing. And, and that really happened to me o- over the last year. So I, I, I took the plunge in, in the last couple months and I've been prototyping and I actually just very, very recently launched a new product um, that I'm pretty excited about. It's, a, it's called Weekly Update. And it's a, it's a super simple tool that I actually built uh, for my own team um, in, in the last startup to, to help our leadership team communicate better. And basically, it's a, it's a management uh, software tool that lets a, lets a team share quick written uh, summaries at the end of the week. And the idea is that when you get all your most important um, objectives and concerns in writing, everybody can be held more accountable, everybody be more transparent about what's going on, and you know, it, 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 important details don't get lost in the shuffle. And so the way the product works is you know, when, when you set it up with your team, every Friday afternoon it sends an automatic email to each person and it prompts them to write this little recap um, and everybody lists out their top objectives and concerns and plan for the following week. Um, and they submit it and it generates a nice PDF and, and shares that PDF with the group. And, you know, it's this, it's this process that's always been in my manager toolkit. I've been using it for years now. And I thought to myself after the last company, you know, this thing has always been so great for me. Why don't I, you know, spruce it up a little bit and make it so other people can use it? And so, you know, just launched in the last couple months and got a, a bunch of early beta users, gotten some of our first paying customers. And it's a, it's a tool I'm really passionate about. So I think it, it genuinely helps teams operate better and, and more honestly and openly. And it's super early, so we're, we're going to see what happens with it next. But uh, it's been a whirlwind, uh, you know, working on it and getting back to, to being a founder. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on raising funding for this? I am uh, going to do that very, very slowly. One of the cool things I like about this business is I don't need funding to get started. We've got the technical skills in-house to do it. Got the, the marketing skills in house to do it, and uh, and there may be there's probably being some costs around around marketing, but to really get started and get some momentum, you you really don't need to raise funding. You know, really for for other people listening that are thinking about starting your own company, you know, often you hear and maybe hear from places like Silicon Valley, uh, where funding is the first thing you got to do. You got to get that started, and, and that's really not the case. Funding should come a lot later. Um, your number one focus needs to be. Are you building a product that someone wants? And then after that, is that person willing to pay for it? Until you really have some solid answers to those questions with a whole bunch of people using it and paying for it and liking it, don't waste your time on funding. And, and if it's the type of product that you can't validate that for without getting funding, then that, that totally makes sense. It just means you know your, your, your risk is going up um, because you have to you know, give up more of the company to, to even see if, it, if, if you can validate the idea. So I really love this idea because I can validate it without taking anybody's money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the last couple of years we've we've kind of gone through this era where, just like you mentioned, everyone was so eager to get funding and money was being thrown around like crazy in the tech space, like bigger numbers than I've ever seen. To be honest, it never made sense to me because people were just so eager to give away part of their company. Because like those sexy, like big funding numbers were everything that people were striving for. Now take this with a grain of salt because this is me looking at it from the outside, just living in the tech space. But you know, like it it didn't make sense to me because these companies weren't making money, (laughs) you know? So like I'm, I'm empathetic to the concept of like, yeah, maybe you need to 
get funding if you need to be able to like fund living expenses for your team or like what I don't even know how all of this space works, but it just didn't make sense. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about it like that. Yeah, it definitely depends on the type of company. Um, I think we're definitely coming to more of a of a reckoning in the market where people are realizing that cheap money is not going to be as easy to get and you have to spend slower and you, you need to control your expenses and, and revenue more. And you know, there, there are some companies where the equation is it takes, you know, X amount of dollars to start, but if you could get it started, then it's suddenly generating uh, X plus Y, um, which, which is obviously appealing for, for everybody involved. But um, mm. as, as you alluded to, that means the founder's giving up a lot of control. You know, you, you don't know what it turns into. Um, in some ways, it's kind of like you're buying a job. And, and you know, it just depends on what your preferences are. If you, you know, are able to bootstrap and you don't mind, you know, not having much of a salary for a little while, um, then you don't need that. Um, on the other hand, if you're in the position where you, have, you need a salary immediately and um, you don't want to take as much personal risk, then um, you know getting funding early on can make sense. So I definitely think it's it's based on the entrepreneur. I know that I've now had a couple experiences attend.com and then this the, the the last one in San Francisco that were venture capital funded, which were you know really cool, good learning. I definitely want to try a, a different model, at least for the early days on this next one. Yeah, absolutely. And I've beta tested it in a little bit of a different space. And I think it's awesome. You know, Greg had talked about it being really a project management tool and, you know, working with your team. I tested it even more in like a mastermind type space where people didn't really know one another. And the results were still, I got a bunch of feedback that Greg, I'm, I'm have to, I will have to share with you after this, but people loved it. So I, I highly suggest checking it out. What's the website? Getweeklyupdate.com. That is exactly right. Awesome. So we'll link all that up in the show notes so people can go ahead and check that out and uh, follow a little bit more about what you're doing. That would, that would be great. So I have a couple questions that I ask each guest at the end of each interview. The first one is, what's the most important lesson that you've learned in the last six months of your journey? Mm. <laughs> uh, that, that one's easy. Starting a company yourself is much harder than you think. I had I'd spent a bunch of time you know, for um, three years now, as, as you said, kind of as an employee, and I'll tell you, I forgot how hard it is to just go back to absolute zero starting from scratch. You, you take for granted things like having a team and having an office and having all these you know, social interactions built right in. When you're building your own product or your own nonprofit, your own organization, whatever it might be from scratch, it is super, super low. And it's, I think a, a good lesson learned is you got to be prepared for that and work through it and you know, have a good support network because that, that hit me like a ton of bricks in the, in the last six months. Awesome. So that was the last six months. I want to expand that window to whatever you consider your personal growth journey. If you could only share two lessons, the two most important things, what would they be? And this does not include the last one, right? I got two, two fresh ones, two new ones. Yeah. Two new ones, two of my most important lessons. Uh, let's see. All right. Number one, what matters most is who's at the table. I have found that I am the happiest and whatever I'm working on performs the best when I have a genuinely positive relationship with who I'm working with. When you, know, when you get to work with your friends, it just makes everything so much more fun. When you get to spend time with people you really like, um, it makes everything so much more fun. So frankly, one of my big motivators for going back out and starting my own thing is I want full control over who gets to sit at the table because I think that is so important. I don't want to leave it in anybody else's hands. Um, I want to be absolutely sure that I just love being around, you know, every everybody at my table. 
Um, and I think that for everybody, of course, everybody's table is different. But I think that's just so important for just general, you know, just just general happiness. And and number two, this feels a little generic, but you know, go against the grain. You know, if everybody's going to one place, maybe think twice about doing that. And, and as an example, you know, I in the last six months actually moved from Silicon Valley to Dallas, Texas. And most people I met in Silicon Valley thought I was out of my freaking mind. Why on earth would you ever live San Francisco, leave San Francisco? And what the heck are you doing in Texas? But I wanted to try something different. I wanted to kind of expand my horizons and um, get out of my comfort zone and be able to travel easier to, to both sides of the country. So I, so I kind of went for it. Um, and it felt a little bit against the grain. I didn't know a lot of other people doing it, but I just figured what the heck. And it has definitely offered me a bunch of new learning opportunities I didn't think I'd get. So, so yeah, recap here. Number one, get great people at the table. Number two, really think about going against the grain. If everybody's going to option A, maybe take a closer look at option B. Awesome, dude. I love those. So before I ask the last question, Greg, I want to take a second to express my gratitude to you for carving out the time and for bringing a ton of value to our community. You know, it's been so cool to watch your journey through. I, I mean, all the way back to when you left working at the ski shop to start your own thing and then watching what you were doing in, in college with your entrepreneurship group through like your co-op opportunities, through all of the different companies that you started. And now, like I mentioned, I've even beta tested your new product and I think it's awesome. And as I'm launching new legs of my business, I can absolutely see myself incorporating that in. So dude, it's been so cool to watch your journey. And what I love about your journey is that you're always creating things to make your own life better. And those things that you create are ultimately what become the businesses that you build. So, you know, it's it's so cool to witness you just be so creative and take action on it because the action is where most people fail. You know, everyone had the idea for Uber, but like only the people who built Uber built it, right? So ideas are useless if they are not acted upon and like you have it ingrained in your DNA to take action. I, I think that that's incredibly admirable. So I want to just take a second to express that gratitude and acknowledge you, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Wow. Hey, it, first, it's absolutely my pleasure. I had a ton of fun. I, I wish we got to talk about Says Wallets a little more, but maybe that'll be for a future episode. We yeah. can really, really dive into how that business worked. And you know, Absolutely. It, it's really funny. You just made a really interesting point that I had never thought of before. You know, you're right. All of my businesses have started out as things I built for myself to make my own life better and then realized I could turn them into a business. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, but you are totally right. That's where they've all come from. Now go figure. <laughs> Dude, it's, I mean, I think you are just one of many examples of the fact that like tons of great businesses all come from problems that we've solved for ourselves. And we've seen a, a gap in the market. And, you know, the two a couple of the bigger companies that you've created are prime examples of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good point. So if people want to follow you, find out more about what you're working on, where can they find you? Where do you hang out most on on the internet and social media, et cetera? Yeah, please. I uh, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. It's all my uh, my full name, Greg Sklute. Um, you can find that on, on most of the social media sites. And then I love blogging. I blog at uh, my own site, sclute.org. It's my last name.org. Um, and at uh, the weekly update website, I've been writing a lot of blogs around good management practices and you know ways to run a good uh, team meeting and you know just some of the lessons I've learned from going through this stuff at my own business. 
Um, so, so lots of good stuff online for, for anybody interested in those topics. We would love to share it with you. Awesome. So we'll link all those up in the show notes for those that want to follow. The last question, Greg, this is a podcast about growth. So what is your next big focus that you're trying to improve on in this coming year? And how are you going to go about working on that? Yeah, I'm going to go tactical on this one. And it's it's digital marketing. That has probably been one of the things that has been the most challenging uh, with, with weekly update, which is surprising because I ran marketing at, at my last company. I got really into it. But man, doing it all yourself for a totally new product is freaking hard. And I've been kind of hacking my way at it as I, as I go. You know, I, I learned Google AdWords. I never really used it before and launched my first ad sets. But I was is a steep, a good little learning curve. So my, my major growth goal is I want to become much stronger around, you know, quote unquote, digital marketing or digital growth. See, I haven't got the word growth in it because I think that is clearly one of the, one of the pieces that is absolutely critical for launching both my current business and any future business. And as I've learned the hard way over the last few months, there is still a lot for me to learn to do that really successfully. So I, I hope in the next you know six months, year or so, I can do a, earn a whole bunch of growth in that area. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Make sure to go check out the full show notes at learngrowern.com. We'll have all of Greg's social media linked up as well as links to his new product and his new company, Get Weekly Update. I highly suggest checking it out if you're work, whether you're working in the mastermind space or running a team in a more of a project management type role. Awesome, awesome product. So I'm really excited to watch that grow. But all of that will be linked up in the show notes. But once again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Greg, thanks for carving out the time, man. We had a blast. Hey, my pleasure, Mike. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>